Hey everyone, welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We've got some leftover Hey MK questions to get to here uh, on a Tuesday and some other Browns topics that, that we can get into if we want as we go along here, Mary Kay. But uh, let's start here. You, you know, we get questions like this all the time. Um, and I think we're going to continue to get questions like this, but uh, I'll ask it anyway from the 317 area code. And and this comes, of course, in light of Zadarius Smith um, and, and his acquisition. Hey, Mary Kay, with all the moves made this offseason, if the Browns go above 500 but miss the playoffs, is Kevin Stefanski safe? So I guess, you know, nine and eight or 10 and seven, but they still miss the playoffs. I, I know you've said you feel like the Haslam's expect the playoffs, but I guess, is there a scenario where maybe they have a really good record and somehow miss the playoffs and, and Kevin's not on the hot seat? Yeah, I think, um, I think everything would have to be taken into account. I don't think you can put a number on it and say, if they go nine and eight and they miss the playoffs, are Kevin Stefanski and some of these other guys getting fired? I don't think you can do it like that. I think what you're going to have to do after the season, in the event that they don't make the playoffs, you have to evaluate the whole thing. If they lost four games by one point, or they lost in overtime three times, and they narrowly missed the playoffs, that's different than the wheels coming off and things falling apart and getting blown out in games and Deshaun Watson not looking good. If Deshaun looks good, and the Browns somehow just don't make it because they are in the very difficult AFC North with Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and the solid across the board Steelers. You know, I think you have to take to weigh all of that. I just don't know uh, that you could point blank say, this is what we're going to do if this happens. Yeah. I, you know, look, I've, I've certainly got questions uh, about Kevin and I, and I think that there have been some there's there have been some really good moments, obviously, and I think there's been some concerning moments as well. But like I, I just I, I think going into the season and saying they have to get this far or he's gone. I, I just don't know if that works. And kind of based on what they've done over these last four years, like they've been very patient and they've been they've sort of changed the way they do business in a lot of ways. And I, I just think some sort of knee jerk reaction if they were to go. 10 and seven somehow and, and miss the playoffs or even nine and eight. And like you said, maybe, maybe they lose in Cincinnati that last game on a 52 yard field goal by Evan McPherson. Like, or is that 52 yard field goal going to determine Kevin's fate? I, I don't know. I, I don't think the Haslam's have come this far uh, and kind of s- tried to sort of stabilize how they do business just to sort of have a knee jerk reaction at the end of the, at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You know, the Steelers, they have, consistency over all of these years you don't have to worry every year is Mike Tomlin on the hot seat now of course Mike Tomlin always has a winning season we know that about him he's never had a losing season which is quite remarkable and I am a huge Mike Tomlin fan but um you know yeah I just don't think that you can put a label on it because seasons take on a life of their own and it has a certain vibe when you get to the end of a season you kind of know what the vibe is, what it feels like. You know if it feels like it was a complete and total failure like it did in 2019 under Freddie Kitchens. You know if your quarterback's trajectory is upward. You know if the wheels are coming off. So I think it all has to do with that. I mean, if you if you lose an overtime game in week 18 against the Bengals, 
and that's how you don't make the playoffs. Uh, you know, again, like you said, you know, or on, or on a Evan McPherson field goal or whatever the case may be, you know, I, I just don't think they're going to pull the plug on this regime. I think they really love Kevin Stefanski. They love Andrew Barry. They really like where they're going with all this. Yes, the expectation is to make the playoffs. You don't go out and get all these guys and spend all this money and put your fan base through the controversy of Deshaun Watson if you don't expect to make the playoffs. But, uh, you know, if you've made tremendous progress and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen, uh, but things looked really good along the way, you know, I, I think there's a case for bringing everyone back. And so much of it does depend on on kind of how Deshaun feels, right? I mean, if Deshaun kind of looks at this and decides, I just don't know if this is right, that's got to carry some weight in, in the decision making process because he is. He's the, he's your quarterback and he's the guy that you paid two hundred thirty million dollars to. So it's not necessarily that he's the one just calling the shots and he'll go up to the Haslam's and say, I want this guy gone and he's gone. But if he had some concerns or if he kind of got through the end of this year and didn't feel like maybe Kevin was the guy, I'm, I'm sure that voice would carry a lot of weight in that belt. Yeah, it would. But, you know, I mean, there are other ways to go about this besides even firing Kevin Stefanski. If for some reason the offense didn't perform the way people wanted it to, you could still keep Kevin Stefanski as the head coach and then bring in a new offensive coordinator or turn play calling duties over to Alex Van Pelt or whatever. You could get a whole new vibe uh, from the play calling that way. I still think that they view Kevin Stefanski as uh, their CEO coach of the future, their long-term guy to run the show. They really, really uh, love what he brings to the table. So even in that scenario, if, if, if Deshaun was like, no, this just isn't working for me, uh, there are other things that you could do before, besides blowing the whole thing up. How closely are Kevin and Andrew tied together in all of this, do you think? Because I saw a tweet this weekend that I thought was interesting. It was after the Zadarius Smith trade and, the, tw- the gist of it was basically like Andrew can kind of say at this point, he's done everything he needs to do. Now, again, we're talking about this in May. And when you get into the season and the losing starts, like attitudes change like that. But, you know, losing wears on a franchise and it, lose on, it wears on a fan base and, and it kind of changes the way you look at things. So it's easy to be measured right now. But is there a scenario where, where I mean, are these two tied together at the hip or or joined together at the hip or can they be separated if the Haslam's do have to make some decisions after the season? Oh, I think they can be separated. I I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, you've got uh, Paul D. Podesta up here as your chief strategy officer, and he's very tied into Andrew Barry um, and the whole personnel department. But if for some reason they felt that the coaching wasn't going in the right direction, uh, you know, they could make a change that way. Now, those two guys wanted Kevin Stefanski back when John Dorsey hired Freddie Kitchens instead. So they've had their eye on him for a long time. As I mentioned before, uh, as, you know, if nothing else, as sort of their guy to run the show, their CEO coach. So, um, you know, but if those guys for some reason decide that they need to make a change, that doesn't mean that um, that Andrew and Kevin both have to go out the window if the in the event they don't make the playoffs. They, they can definitely be separated that way. And remember, um, Andrew Berry was actually hired after Kevin Stefanski, so it's not like he hired him in this cycle per se. 
Right. They hired Kevin and there was a, a kind of a long and not, not a super long process, but George Payton came in and, and they there there were some moving parts there before Andrew eventually um, got that job. So another Kevin Stefanski question. This one this one comes from Carloso uh, in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Hey, Mary Kay, Kevin Stefanski seemed to struggle making halftime and in-game adjustments. First, do you think that's true? And second, if so, how will that be addressed this season? Well, you know, one of the ways it could possibly be addressed this season is that they have a new senior offensive assistant in Bill Musgrave. He's been around a lot of football. He's called a lot of football. He's been an offensive coordinator for many, many years. He's been in that chair. He's held that clipboard. He knows how to make those halftime adjustments. So I think that's one way uh, in which Kevin Stefanski will have another voice someone else sort of seeing the big picture. Because as we know, now Alex Van Pelt is also the quarterback's coach. So if he is micromanaging a little bit more, you've got Bill Musgrave there who can help Kevin Stefanski get the big picture a little bit better. So I think that's that's really one important distinction and difference this year uh, that they didn't have before. And I think it could possibly be meaningful. I wonder if some of that too kind of goes hand in hand with him just getting to know Deshaun better even and kind of fitting this offense, kind of knowing what adjustments you can make with Deshaun and knowing like, you know, this is what we can do differently. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent certain that they struggled that much. I mean, I, I don't know. It's always hard to tell, but like there were games where they looked worse in the second half than in the first, but then there was like the Washington game where, it looked like the first half, it looked like, oh, everybody's getting fired. And then the second half, Deshaun plays his best half of football. So I don't know. I always think it's hard to tell, you know, if a team is really good at making adjustments or not. And so much of that happens, you know, when you come to the sideline between series and you're looking at the tablets, it's it's not even like we got to go in the locker room and in that 12 minutes or whatever, they make, you know, huge changes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the funniest person who had the, uh, you know, the, the quote about halftime and halftime adjustments was Peyton Manning. He's like, you know, you go inside, you go to the bathroom, you have a, a glass of orange juice, you come back out and you start playing football again and it goes really fast. So, you know, maybe it might be overrated, but I think the point is in-game adjustments is what we're we're really talking about here is in-game adjustments. Doesn't matter what time you make them, but you have to make them sometimes if you're getting killed in a certain area or if somebody's taking something away and you've got to figure it out. Um, so on both sides of the ball, I think that the in-game adjustments this year are going to be vitally, vitally important. And like you said, it's hard to tell if they're making good ones or they're not. And it was ex- extra hard to tell last year because they didn't have Deshaun Watson. And when they finally got him back for those last six games, It was just, everybody was just scrambling, trying to figure it all out. I mean, I'm telling you, being there in Houston and watching that game up close and personal and just seeing Deshaun not even look physically right and look so emotionally overwhelmed. I mean, you just have to throw that one right out the window, which left them with five games. One of them was a weather game, right? Uh, So then you're down to like four opportunities to, to really evaluate him and I don't know. I think it was just a really, really hard gig to try to do all that in those that little chunk of time and space. So, you know, I'm anxious to see, okay, Kevin Stefanski, what do you got? Now now it's time to to show people what you can do, what you can do with Deshaun Watson, 
what you're all about as a play caller, how you can make in-game adjustments, and all these things that you need to do. Yeah, I, I do think, I, you know, again, Kevin's going to be such a big topic all season long, I think. Um, but and, and that's part of your, you know, it's year four. There's expectations. People are, I think, feel like yesterday was like Brown's Day on Twitter. Like everybody was saying, oh, look how talented this team is all of a sudden. But, you know, that that's that's part of the job. And he's got to go out there. And like, if you are that guy that we saw in 2020 or that we thought like, oh, this guy is one of the really good offensive minds in this league back in 2020 if you're that guy this is it go prove it because you you like you finally have your quarterback yeah I mean you know you're gonna have to look at this and see okay is this sort of like Shane Steichen and Jalen Hurts um you know those guys had a really good thing going last year or is this Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes they they've had a good thing going right from the start is this first Brian Dayball and Josh Allen? I mean, those guys really got their mojo down. And that's what you need to see. You need to see that Kevin Stefanski can be that guy for Deshaun Watson. Now, what we know about Deshaun Watson is Kevin Stefanski and the little skull session that they had when the Browns went down to court Deshaun Watson. That's a major reason he wanted to come here. He really loved what Kevin Stefanski was selling in that session. And he hasn't forgotten that. And so this off season is going to be about those two guys constantly communicating, constantly putting their heads together and coming up with ways that Deshaun can look good. And Kevin's going to have to defer to Deshaun probably a lot on this because he's played three pro bowl seasons and some really, really good elite football. So he has that cachet to be able to say, here's how I want to do things. Baker Mayfield didn't have that. He didn't have those chips built up where he could sort of dictate what he wanted. He wanted to have that kind of authority, but he didn't have it. So when it came down to Baker Mayfield thinking that Kevin Stefanski wasn't necessarily showcasing his strengths or calling the right kind of game for him or doing things that really could help him look good, um, you know, Baker just didn't, you know, he just didn't have the expertise to be able to win that battle. But Deshaun has it. He's got that. Um, And so, you know, Kevin's going to have to make sure that he is doing things that that are going to really, really help Deshaun excel and succeed because we know he's got it in him. The Deshaun part of this is so interesting, too, because that's just another layer of this is Deshaun and his legacy. Because he was really building towards something, you know, coming out of that 2020 season. And he led the league in passing yards and it it felt like, okay, people were ready to sort of put him on this pedestal and and move him up into that kind of rarefied air of some of the best quarterbacks in the league. And then of course, uh, you know, the civil trial, the civil cases happened. He demanded the trade, all of that. And he didn't play for two years. And I, you know, I think his legacy and when he wants his legacy to be is all a factor in this too. And it's something I think he's very aware of. And I think the people around him are very aware of, they want him to be thought of in the same sentence as Mahomes and Burrow and Allen. They they want Watson to, to still kind of be on that list of guys. And again, that's just something else Kevin has to navigate here. And you know that Deshaun Watson believes that he is right up there with Patrick Mahomes. When he talks about, you know, Patrick doing the no-look passes and all the cool things that Patrick can do, Deshaun's like, yeah, I, you know, I've got this. I, I can do that. 
Um, and, and I really think that, you know, he hasn't been on a football team like this before where you've got a really talented defense and you've got a running game and an offensive line and a really good stable of pass catchers. I don't think he's had the whole package like this before. So now, you know, let's see what he can do. But I know that he 100% believes that he is every bit the quarterback uh, that Patrick Mahomes is. And now, you know, let's let's see what what Kevin and Deshaun can do together because that's what it's going to take. Those guys have got to be Andy and Pat. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the roster moves they've made. This comes from Dan in D.C. Hey, Mary Kay, there are lots of reasons to feel good about lots of moves this offseason. Is there a position group you feel got worse compared to last season, or is there positivity to go around for every position on the team? Well, there are a couple of positions, a, a few positions of concern, okay? So one is kicker. I mean, they just have to hope uh, that, Cade York comes back and that he is a better kicker, especially at Cleveland Brown stadium than he was last season. He's, he's got to get that figured out. He's got to get that fixed. So that's one area where you still have to look at it. You can't have your kicker missing kicks or extra points or being a liability in any way, but now he's got a new special teams coordinator in Bubba Ventrone. And I think Bubba, Bubba is going to work out those kinks. I really think that he's going to make sure uh, that this is all going in the right direction. So uh, I have faith in Bubba to get that right. Uh, the linebacker position, we don't know if that got better or not. It can get better by virtue of just guys coming back healthy. That's what they need. If all these guys come back healthy, then yes, their linebacker position will be better than it was last year because it was just attrition. Every week or two, somebody else was going down with another season-ending injury. So that one, the jury is still out on that a little bit. Um, running back, we can't say yet that running back has gotten better because we know that Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson are both gone. And what we don't know yet is, even though the Browns really believe that Jerome Ford is going to be something special, you know, we haven't seen it yet enough out on the field to say, okay, the running back position is better. Not going to say it's worse, but... We don't know yet if it will be better. Has the potential. Not sure about that one yet. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just kind of um, you either had concerns already, you know, or guys have to prove it. So like kicker, like you mentioned, um, or maybe the depth is is where you're looking. So the running back position might not be better. It, maybe that is a position group that has gotten a little worse just because Kareem Hunt's gone. But you still have Nick Chubb at the top. Mm -hmm. Quarterback, like Jacoby Brissett's not your backup anymore. So is that better? Is Josh Jobs going to be a better option? Than, are we even going to know? Is Deshaun going to play just every single snap, but we're never going to see Josh Jobs? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's an area that isn't better than last year. So I, I don't think there's any areas like at the top of the depth chart where I'd say this position group is at, at worst, like the same as last year, if not better. But then you start to dig into the depth a little bit, and that's where you you kind of start to say, okay, now you need Jerome Ford to step up, or you need Josh Dobbs to be a good, reliable backup. You know, things like that. I think that's kind of where you're looking um, if a position is going to be worse than last year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do still have concerns about backup quarterback uh, because even though we've seen some really good things from Joshua Dobbs, you know, he still has to prove over time uh, – potentially that he can go out and win a bunch of football games. That's what you're going to need 
if Deshaun Watson has an injury for any length of time. And nobody really knows that. I mean, Josh Jobs looked good in the two games that he played for the Titans last year, but uh, you know, he hasn't won any games yet. And those were his first two starts in the NFL. So, you know, I think that's a little bit of an area of concern. Now, hopefully for the Browns and hopefully for Deshaun Watson and for the Browns fans, Deshaun will stay completely healthy this year and it won't be an issue and nobody will have to know how good Josh Dobbs is or isn't. Uh, but that but that definitely is another area that you kind of have to look at and, and circle it a little bit and hope you're going to be okay. Okay, we're going to take a break and then we've got a few more Hey Mary Kay questions here on the Tuesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. And back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot, a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. I think this, uh, I think questions like this, the Kevin questions and questions about this guy deserve like their own special saying that we need to have like music and like in a like a big booming announcer voice. Uh, the Kareem Hunt question of the week. This comes from the 440 area code. And, and this kind of goes with what we were just talking about. Hey, Mary Kay, is the door completely closed on Kareem Hunt's return? And if so, which side closed it? Well, you know, the, the Browns closed it and it is pretty firmly shut. But, um, you know, I will say that he's also in that never say never category. If you are still looking for a running back and uh, and you don't have one and you can get him at the veteran minimum and he really still needs a job, I think that's where the door is open. Just a sliver. I, I doubt it's going to happen. I really doubt it's going to happen. I think that ship has sailed, um, but he's in the never say never category. So probably going to be somebody else other than Kareem, but, you know, stranger things have happened. It is interesting that he hasn't found a home yet. I know that last year wasn't like his best year. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe he's just waiting for a contract to come along. But I, I do think it's interesting. Nobody's taken a, a chance on him. And also, that like John Johnson is still out there as a free agent. <laughs> Davion Clowney uh, has not landed anywhere yet. There's some some of these guys the Browns have moved on, on moved on from. I'm a little surprised, not so much with Clowney, because he always waited to sign till late anyway. But I'm a little surprised they haven't found homes yet. Yeah, I'm a little surprised too, especially in the case I would say of maybe John Johnson. I, I would think that, um, you know, that by now he would have found a home. So now you're starting to get to where you have to wait until some of the June 1st stuff happens and you see if some teams get a little bit more money. Then you move into the, okay, we lost our starting running back. Let's give Kareem a call. Or, oh, we need an edge rusher. Uh, you know, we just, our guy ruptured his Achilles. Let's give Jadavian a call. They're starting to get to that point now where, um, you know, the money has largely dried up for a lot of teams and, and you are going to be waiting into camp for, uh, you know, for these season ending injuries to happen before some of these guys find work. I'm really like that. I, I know John Johnson wasn't good here, but we're like two years removed from him being one of the best safeties on the market. At the time, I mean, the Browns paid him a lot of money. I'm a little surprised that there isn't some team out there that's willing to to bring him in. That Again, maybe part of it is him just waiting for an opportunity, but um, that some team to just bring him in and compete for a job or even say, hey, you're going to be our starter. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to find a home. I think he's going to find a, a job and I think he's going to find a decent job. And I think 
you know, it's just probably sometimes a matter of waiting for the right opportunity. I mean, look at Mel- Melvin Ingram is still out there. The Browns were interested in three-time Pro Bowl pass rusher Melvin Ingram. They thought about signing him, and then things turned over to Zadarius Smith. But you've got a guy like that that's still out there, too. So, you know, there are some guys out there that can still play some football. And these Browns players that you're talking about, the former Browns players, are in that category. And, you know, we liked working with some of those guys. And I know that, you know, like I'm hoping that Kareem Hunt finds another opportunity. I'm hoping that, um, you know, that John Johnson three and Jadavian find new homes and and new jobs because, you know, they do still have some good football in them. And, you you know, you hate to see a guy uh, not be able to continue their career or things just not work out for them. I, t- I do wonder if some of this too is just the NFL. We, we've seen this in the NBA where like when you're kind of a, I don't know, mid-tier is the right word, but when you're kind of older, so it's not your second contract, it's more like your third, you know, you're not fresh off your rookie deal. Some of these guys in that age range, if teams look at it and say, we'd rather just draft a guy and have him cheap for four years. And we're going to put all of our, all of our cap money into bigger names. And we're, you know, the, the our big contracts. I think that's probably kind of what the Browns prefer in a lot of ways is let's have young draft picks. Let's pay our top end talent a lot of money. And if we are going to sign somebody, it's going to be mostly guys just coming out of their rookie deals and and into their second contracts. I I wonder if that the CBA has sort of changed the way people view players like John Johnson, who are, I mean, how many years is he in now? Six years, seven years, you know, guys like that. Yeah, I I agree. I think that has a lot to do with it where you can, uh, you know, cap management is such a huge part of this. I mean, you really have to worry about, you know, what you're doing there uh, from the cap standpoint. And then there are certain positions that, um, you know, that you can find guys and it's not as hard to find them than it is, you know, as it is maybe an edge rusher or a left tackle or whatever. And running back is one of those spots. So, you know, you can find a running back that that can get the job done for you without paying them a bunch of money. And Kareem Hunt is starting to get up there in years. And, uh, you know, what you would want him for is, I mean, he can play a role for you. He could definitely, definitely play a really good role for some team uh, that needs a good, probably back up to their number one that can go in there and get the tough yards for you. But he's really good on the goal line. I mean, he is, you know, he's just a battering ram on the goal line and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So throw him the ball. And let him go down and score touchdowns for you. And and I think that uh, he could be valuable to your team. It did always feel like with him and Chubb, when they got in close, like Kareem Hunt was just the better option mm-hmm. at the goal. Because Kareem was so decisive. I'm like, I'm just going to run guys over. And Nick is a more patient runner. And I think that's cost him maybe some opportunities to get in the end zone uh, in, in the past. Because he's just so patient where there isn't a lot of room to be patient. Yeah. I mean, how often did we see? Uh, Nick coming out in those situations and Kareem going in and so often Kareem scores the touchdown for you. And the other thing I think, um, you know, when you're on the goal line like that is then, you know, you can kind of blend the, the run and the pass down there in that situation when you have Kareem in the game and you don't know if it's going to be one or the other with him in there. So, um, so I think he can be valuable to a team, but he's going to have to find the right situation, you know, Andy Reid's going to have to reach back out and pull him in or or something like that is going to have to happen. See, and this is one of those things. And I guess we don't have to talk about this anymore because Kareem Hunt's not on the team. But this is one of those things where I wish Kevin would have explored, explored it a little more. 
just having those two on the field. Now, I think it got a little bit out of hand how much people wanted to see that, but I do think that over the last few years, I, I don't know, it feels like they kind of wasted some opportunities there where maybe, like if Andy Reid had Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I'm sure there would have been some crazy looking formations and, and packages that, that that they would have thrown out there. And so I think that's that's one area where I think Kevin could maybe do a little more. Yes, I, I think so too. I think he could have done that. And I just think that there were other times where uh, Kareem could have hurt a team a little bit more than he had was given a chance to um, in some of those games against Kansas city, when you knew he was ready to run through a wall um, you know, there, there were just times where, uh, you know, I thought you could kind of take advantage of his, um, you know, just the passion and the emotion that he plays with. Now, last year, it just it just seemed that, you know, there were times where he, you know, wasn't making the yards he normally made. And, you know, who knows what that was all about? You know, maybe it was a situation at the time that he was in the down in the distance, whatever. Um, but, you know, he does have to go out there and prove uh, that that he is the the running back that he was, you know, three years ago or whatever. And um, if he can do that, then somebody would be getting a really good back. Okay, a question from Ken Lieb in Westchester, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, does Kevin Stefanski plan on treating preseason games any differently this year? In the past couple seasons, he's held vets out of those games, giving them very little preparation for the start of the season. And the team has looked unprepared, taking last year as an example and pointing to some of those communication breakdowns. Now, I, I will push back a little on this and, and just point out the Browns and Kevin's first two years did start three and one, but those communication breakdowns did happen last year. Uh, so it, it's certainly something to think about with new personnel and new coaches. It would be helpful to know each other's expectations, situational awareness and reactions at game speed, even in preseason. It's very different than practice speed. So to sum it up, do you think Kevin will approach the preseason any differently this year? Probably a little bit differently. I, you know, I, I think he might, He's got four preseason games this year instead of three with them playing in the Hall of Fame game. I do think he probably will give Deshaun Watson a little bit more playing time in the preseason, but he has to be careful. I mean, you you can't lose him. You cannot lose him in the preseason. And it is a scary proposition to put these guys out there in a completely meaningless game and risk them not making it to the opener healthy. So he's going to have to weigh out the risks and the benefits of doing that. They also have those two really good practices against a very good Eagles defense in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, that's such good work that, you know, you don't need, you know, you're not going to need to play him in that game in the, in what will be the Browns third preseason game. I mean, he will have gotten uh, sem so many good reps against that really good defense that, you know, he'll be good to go, I think for that week. Um, so uh, it would probably be the first two games where you might see him a little bit more, Um yeah, I, I think that there, there's a chance that you will see him play a little bit more this preseason. Kevin has usually used that last preseason game um, as the dress rehearsal still, it being the third preseason game. Now you mentioned this year, the third preseason game for the Browns will actually be that Philly game. Uh, but like you said, I don't think they're going to really play the starters in that game after the joint practices. But, um, you know, he usually has had that that one dress rehearsal game. Maybe he throws them out there in the second game of the preseason for a quarter or a couple series or something like that. There's a little flexibility, but, you know, there's a method to the madness. I, I think there's a reason that they try to protect these guys so much in camp and a reason they try to protect them in the preseason. They, they just know that this is all about 
you're always building towards something. And and this is a tough balance this year because you don't want to peak in September. But unfortunately for the Browns, they play three of four, three division games in the first four weeks. So they really have to kind of balance this. They really do. They have to be very strategic and smart about the way they handle from the minute they open camp until they get to their bye week, which of course is so early. It's the earliest bye week that you can have. And it's in week five after they've gone through that grueling little stretch of three division games in their first four games. And then you have a bye week already, which I think, you know, they have to say the right things and talk about how great that is to have that little break right there. No, 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 no. It's way too early. It's way too early to have to think that you have to go the next potentially 17 games if you make it all the way to the Super Bowl and you reach your goals uh, without having a week off, without having a break. So they're going to have to be very strategic about how they handle it, about how they dole out those reps. That's why I do think it is important to have another really good running back that can go in there and take some of that tread off Nick Chubb's tires. If Jerome Ford's not going to do it all, or, or take you know some of that workload off of Nick, then somebody else has to go do that. Those yards that Kareem Hunt used to get, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't averaging six yards per carry, but some of the benefit was in just taking some of that off of Nick Chubb, which is so important, not just for you know until the fourth quarter of a game, but all the way through the season to get him to the finish line. So they need more running backs and and they're just going to have to keep rotating guys through to get through this season. Yeah. It's so, it's so weird the way the schedule is set up. Cause I mean, look, we see it all the time. Teams will start like six and two and fall off and teams will start three and four and then make a run and, and make the playoffs. And obviously you'd rather be the team that starts three and four and made the playoffs than the team that starts six and two and collapses. But when you've got three division games in September, you can't start slow. You've you've got to at least, I mean, you got to at least win two of those games. I, you know, you don't want to go one and two in the division and have it be the second week of October and, and you're already chasing everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's why they really do have to be ready. And as I mentioned before, even though the Browns have the Bengals number, so much so that they've won eight out of the last 10 meetings. I mean, isn't that a mind-blowing statistic, Dan? They've won eight out of the last 10 games. Joe Burrow, I think, is one and four against the Browns. I mean, it's just. Yeah, it was, the, it was that one game last year when he kind of broke the the curse and, yeah. and he beat them in Deshaun's second game back. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just mind blowing to consider uh, that the Bengals, that the Browns have dominated the Bengals, uh, you know, over the last four years. So um, so absolutely, they're going to have to be ready for that game they're going to have to be ready for those first four games and even though the browns do have the bengals number the bengals are you know they're they're just used to playing with each other i mean joe burrow doesn't have to try to figure out who he's got timing and chemistry with and all that kind of stuff deshaun watson is going to have to be doing that in those first four games i've been saying all along that i think that some of the natural flow of playing football with deshaun watson I could be wrong about this, but I I think it is going to take a little bit of time to see, you know, who his favorite targets are, who his guys are, to get the nuances of where somebody likes the ball on a fade route or whatever. Um, You know, I feel like some of that has got to happen in game. It can't just be 
in practice. You know, it's fool's gold to see it in practice. It really is. How many times do we see a receiver that is all Berea, right? They're all Berea in the summer. And then it just doesn't necessarily translate to the game. You have to be a gamer. You have to be a gamer. And, uh, and you have to try to be a gamer with Deshaun Watson, which is a whole different animal. And I think it's going to take a while for that to manifest itself. Like, who's got it with him? Who knows, you know, how to stay in his left peripheral vision? Or when he's taken off to his right, who knows, you know, where he likes to go with the ball? That's going to take a little time. And they don't have that kind of time. They have to have their mojo down by week one. Yeah, Corey Coleman looked like a pro bowler in his first training camp. And that we all know how that ended up. Um, right. But, it, you know, and it's not just the receivers, it's the O-line. And that's hard to simulate in practice and in training camp because obviously you can't hit the quarterback and it's just different. And Deshaun holds the ball. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, there's going to be a lot of sacks this season where it's Deshaun's fault. And that's mm-hmm. just always been how it is. But the offensive line needs to learn how to protect him. And they got a little taste of that last year. But again, five games just isn't, it's not the same. So that, I mean, that's another big thing. So it's not just the receivers. They've got to learn kind of how to protect Deshaun Watson and, and how to minimize some of those sacks like that they give up. They're, you're going to give up sacks with him. It's, it's again, that's fine because he's going to make huge plays for you, but they've got to learn how to play with him too. They really do. That's such a great point, Dan. It's not just the receivers learning how to play with him. It is the offensive line and it is so vastly different than blocking for the first 11 weeks of this season for Jacoby Brissett. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got this mobile quarterback uh, that can do all these different kinds of things and you have to be ready for it and you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And it can be very, very confusing. One person that I think we're going to be watching a lot to see how he adjusts to this whole thing is Jed Wills. They picked up his fifth year option. He's now got two years to really go out there and prove himself. Uh, but, you know, he needs to show that he's the right left tackle for Deshaun Watson. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure he probably will be. But, you know, this is his chance to show that, yeah, I can block for, for this kind of quarterback and, you know, I can get the job done. But it's going to be incumbent on all of them uh, to, you know, to be what Deshaun needs them to be. Yeah, I mean, you think you're doing everything right. And then, you know, and you have your back turned because you're an offensive lineman. And then the next thing you know the guy you're blocking gets away because he can see what Deshaun's doing and you can't. And it's, it's difficult. And so there's a timing and a cadence to all of that. So mm-hmm. it might be clunky. And that's, that's where having those three division games in the first four is really, it's really bad. You'd much rather have those games, more of those games in November and December. Yeah. Why did they do that this I year? I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I really, really like ramping up the season and leaving all of those big, huge double games towards the end and really backloading it. And you have no idea who's going to the playoffs because everything can change in the last four or five weeks of the season. It's way too early for those division games. They needed to spread those out way more. Yeah. And like, and especially in the NFL where it's so winning the division in the NFL matters so, so much still. And like you look at the last games the Browns play. So they play Pittsburgh on November 19th. And then they play at Denver, at LA, versus Jacksonville, versus Chicago, at Houston. I mean, is anybody excited 
and I get it. Jacksonville's a Jacksonville's a good team. We'll see about Denver. Going to LA is awesome, but like, is anybody really excited about this? You know, Rams, Jaguars, Bears, Texans run in December, like late November, early December. Like, I don't know. I'd rather it be Ravens, Steelers, Bengals. Maybe you know, a couple years ago when they did the the Ravens twice in three weeks, that was. That was fun. Like that's that's what makes the game fun is having those rivalries late in the year. It really does. It it really does. And by then, you know, the interesting thing about those games late in the year is that you don't even know who's left standing, right? I mean, anything can happen because I mean, who, you know, there's so much attrition through injury throughout the year that you're not even sure if you're going to have your starting quarterback for those last games. But still, it, it is so exciting. There's just something so different about Browns versus Ravens or Browns versus Steelers than there is, you know, Browns versus Texans, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, the end of the season is just going to lose a little bit of its luster, I think. Yeah, when it's when it's cold and it's December, and I get it, we had Brown Saints last year. That was weird and that freezing cold. But, like, just December games. There, there should be more division games than not. I just I don't like it. I hope this isn't a trend. I hope this is just like a weird scheduling quirk. Uh, and, and Kevin said, I think he thinks they're the only team that has that many division games early. I haven't done my own research on that, but um, I'm assuming he would know better than I would. I'm sure that they they know that. So it's just really it, it's a really tough ask for this team. It really is. And of course, they're never going to complain about it. They're never going to admit it. They're never going to say the bye week is too early, even though it is. You know, they're going to take them as they come and they're going to do what the schedule says, but it's it's a tough way to start the season and it's tough to get that break uh, so early on. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Another Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Those questions came from our football insider subscribers. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info on that. And of course, all of our subscription info uh, for the podcast. Just go and search for Orange and Brown Talk on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And check out our YouTube channel, Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. If you search that on YouTube, you will find us and be able to get subscribed there. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.